welcome to another edition of Two Guys from Ireland discussing software. Two Irish guys from Ireland. I'm running out of ways of saying it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm running out of ways of interjecting. You know, we're not making it look obvious, but... Oh, very good. Well, you know the score. We're here. Moss O'Leary is my name. Andrew Theo Origina, joined by my very good friend, Brendan Walsh. We're here discussing mega vendors, the software industry, the news of the day, what's happening. There's lots of stuff happening in software. There always is lots of stuff happening in software, isn't there, Brendan? Just, we, we just we can't, we can't get enough. And there's always stories about our favorite guys, the mega vendors, with particular focus from time to time on our three-letter friend, IBM. So we, this week, have a unbelievable guest. And it's really appropriate after nearly two years of podcasts that we have an opportunity now to get some real insights to the thinking of these leaders in these big companies. We have Todd Udestad, who is the founder and CEO of the number two podcast of the top 25 CEO podcasts. He has been in... Forbes, Bloomberg, CNN, PBS, and now he's on two Irish guys discussing software. <laughs> this guy now, we'll go through his background, we go to talk to him, he's, he's brilliant. I uh, don't know why he invited me onto his show, but he has looked and spoken to hundreds upon hundreds of CEO and founders, leaders in business, some of them unbelievably successful. So all of them want to be successful and all of them going through many of the same challenges. Actually, they have no doubt our mega vendors have been going through themselves and are still going through. I actually think there's a lot of sound advice that he can give them. So I'm really, really looking forward to talking to Todd later. He also he likes Ireland, he likes Irish butter. He's an ex-US Army intelligence officer. So uh, a lot of really good insights coming our way, Brent. Yeah, looking forward to it. I've, I've listened to a lot of Todd's podcasts and yeah, pretty interesting. They're on my, on my weekly listening list now, which is great. Excellent, excellent. Gee, I don't know about you, Bren, but we are now, what is this, six, seven months into this. I'm, I'm struggling. I have to be honest with you. I'm kind of struggling with dealing with this. Um, if, if, there, if another lockdown happens here in where we're living in Ireland, I don't know. We're just, this is crazy. We can't, we're not able to travel. We can't, you know, we're, we can get out of our houses now at least. We can mm. get around the country. Like, and it's almost everywhere. Most countries, there's massive limitations on travel. It's like we've locked everybody up in their countries. Like a, a year ago, we would have been going, getting ready to go to Dallas. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, it's, we've talked about this the last time. It's a like conference season coming up. We can't go Dallas, London. There would have been Frankfurt. There would have been Paris. I mean, none of that. Looks we like were basically, yeah, we were jet setting around the world, really, weren't we? And now we've got the south of Ireland, the west of Ireland, the north of Ireland. So very strange times, indeed, getting a bit frustrating. And we, and I was listening, you talk about Todd, we're going to talk to him. Like, he had a very interesting conversation with Ben Chestnut, the founder, co-founder of, of MailChimp. He, ha- he, asked, he asked him about a mantra that they have or a, or a phrase or a saying that's really important to them. I thought the one he said was outstanding particularly given what's going on, is nobody's coming. Now, he meant it in the context of as an entrepreneur, no one's coming to help you, but it feels like nobody's coming, nobody's going. What are we going to do? I mean, what are we going to do? I, 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 don't, I don't have the answer for you. <laughs> I did listen to that podcast. I love it. Uh, 
what are we going to do? I just, I just, all we can do is do our best, right? You know, keep talking to our to our colleagues, keep keep engaging, recognize that people, not everybody is able to handle it as well as everybody else. Give people support. Maybe listen to a bunch of Todd's podcasts and get a lot of good advice, sound <laughs> advice, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you said that, Brent, because you were always, you're older than me. We went to school together and you were always so much wiser. So marginally older, marginally older, yeah. I remember when we had the, um, we were backstage in a play in school and uh, we were we were probably the two best curtain pullers that ever were employed by the school during a school play. And you led by by example, yeah, that wasn't a very successful uh, kind of period for me because I had I had one line in the play as well as being a, a curtain puller, which was to say, "The king rises." That's all I had to say. And I remember our uh, our director of uh, what was our English professor saying to me, "Can you just, Mr. Bevan, Mr. Bevan, just give me that line one more time?" And I'd say, "The king rises," and he goes, "No, no, I'm going to have to give it to somebody else." <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was it. I think it's because you were trying to you were trying to say it in the way the guys from Monty Python. Were yeah, saying. he said it was too comic. He he said no, it's not a comic line. It is a comedy. It's a tragedy. Tragedy, but but that, anyway. So that was the end of that. Well, let's raise the curtain then on our usual stuff, Bren. We've we've had quite a few stories that have been happening in the industry. I know you've got your handle and a uh, finger on on quite a number of these. And uh, what's been happening? What's been happening? Yeah. So well, as you said, I mean, you know, what are we all going to do? How can we cope? How can we survive? Well, the, the the software sector seems to be surviving pretty well, particularly the software sectors that are providing cloud-based services or remote working solutions or remote collaboration solutions. And we've talked about some of those in the past, the like you know the Zooms and the Teams of the world, etc. But on Tuesday, Salesforce announced its Q2 results. We mentioned Salesforce on the on the last podcast uh, with its uh, former mentor. Larry, as you know well, having invested yeah. a couple of bob into Salesforce, well, they've had another sterling result, set of results, 5.15 billion uh, on the back of an expected 4.9 billion of revenue. So they grew year on year by 29%. And in Q1, they had grown by 30% year on year. So they're really performing extremely well that given the, the current environment. Yeah, and on the back of IT spending globally, really under pressure, this is a really impressive set of results. And we'll be talking about advice for the for the CEOs of the mega vendors later. But but one piece of advice that Benioff had, and he kind of had a dig at some of his competitors, was that their success has been due to focus, right? And we talk about this a lot in our own business, but they're focusing on their core product, which is allowing sales teams to, to, you know, to manage their sales leads. And that that's part of the reason for their success is pure focus. And they're not getting distracted. And he said, like some of their other vendors, or some of the other competitors, their stock price has also risen, risen 33% since the beginning of the year. So I hope you put a few bob into that. And the SMP itself is only up 7%. So a really... Yeah. A really impressive set of results. But they're um, not having it their own way. Well, I've been a, yeah, I mean, they're not. But there's, you know, uh, they are replacing ExxonMobil in the Dow, which they've been there for ni- since 1928. So they are having some things their own way. But no, they're also, uh, you know, under pressure here in Europe. They're in the middle of a class action suit themselves and Oracle, as it happens. So they're they're co-joined uh, one more time. But so a European non-profit, non-profit organization called the Privacy Collective is has uh, filed a class action saying that the, the cookies that they use to collect information from users that visit their websites are being used 
and they're breaching GDPR regulations um, because they're targeting them with, with advertising and using personal data without consumers' consent. So there's been a lot of lot of law change, not just GDPR, but there's actually the whole cookie area has been massively changed. 100%. And uh, it's, been, it's been called one of the largest class actions of unlawful processing of personal data in the history of the internet. So... Ooh. And one of those one of those cookie collectors in question was a, is is a cookie collector called Blue Kai, and it was bought by Oracle in 2014 for 400 million. So I guess they thought they'd put it in some usage, but now they're in the courts, and it's a 10 billion dollar potential uh, payout if they get if they get on the wrong end of that. Oh God, the um, numbers the numbers just keep getting bigger, and I see I see Apple are reached the two trillion valuation. I mean, Apple, it took them 42 years to get to 1 trillion valuation. And within two years later, they're at 2 trillion. So it's incredible. I think they're the highest valued company in the world right now. I think the only other company to ever breach 2 trillion was Saudi Aramco. That's kind of dropped back. But we mentioned the last time or the last show that uh, that Microsoft had had breached 1.5 trillion. You know, it's becoming, it's just staggering really the, the valuations that are on in, in the software tech firms and that's why they're replacing some of the traditional companies like united airlines who got knocked out of the knocked out of the nasdaq by docusign we mentioned that the last time and exxon mobile getting knocked out of the dow by salesforce so so these valuations are just so big that yeah they're replacing the older traditional companies in, in those markets yeah but their, year, but their year-on-year revenue growth has not been the same as some of the others but, you know um, certainly not the same as Facebook's or Amazon's or even Microsoft's. They're like they've had they've had better returns, significantly better returns, but their but their revenues are not going through the roof. They're in the kind of you know 10 11 percent year on year increases, maybe compared to Salesforce and the others who are who are you know continuously doing 30 percent. So they're they're catching up. But I mean, Salesforce is still half the revenue of of, of Oracle, but got a higher higher valuation. So you can see what the market thinks about their their meteoric rise. But there's a real disconnect between Wall Street and Main Street now. Are we seeing this now? This is this has gone crazy. I mean, we're going to be talking to Todd in a little bit about, about leadership, and and I mean, is it really are these guys like masters of the universe, and they can do no wrong, or are they really just? They've just been in the right place at the right time, and there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, this stuff can't carry on, surely. I, th- I think right. I think right place, right time. I mean, you know, I think the COVID is like a black swan event, right? And I don't think they ever predicted it, but but I think because of the technology that they have, and because of the remote working and remote employee enablement, and because organizations don't want to invest in new hardware on prem, and they they want to move stuff to the cloud, this is. This is just uh, they're they're just you know banging the right place to to wow. to uh, exploit that you know. And anything on our on our good friends? Well, there's always some good news from IBM, and there's a lot of allegedly's coming up right now. But yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this about you know leadership and and making the right moves and and you know our CEOs making the right decisions. But you know, once again, we've seen IBM at the center of another lawsuit. It, it seems to be either former employees or, or existing employees, but this one is around the fact that IBM are, are withheld, withholding commission due to salespeople on commission plans that sh- that were supposedly uncapped, and now they're trying to cap the commission. So what's happening here, is, as people might know, but the way it works is, and you know, a salesperson is brought on to sell the product. They're typically paid a base salary, and they're typically then paid a, a percentage of the deal. 
to incentivize them to, to go after big deals, right? If you're getting 3% or 4% of, of a million bucks, then, you know, it's a, it's a great incentive. But you're also incentivized not to stop when you've reached your target. You're incentivized to breach your target and to keep going. If you're going well, keep going. And so the plans are typically uncapped. What's happened in, in, in IBM's world, allegedly, is that they're not paying out on the commission plans for those uncapped commission plans. And so there's lawsuits up to you know $40 million at the moment across separate lawsuits. What happens here is IBM issue their employees with these incentive plan letters. And then they say that even though the incentive plan letter is a written contract, that it's not legally binding, right? And so what's happened in the state of California is that they're saying, well, it does meet the Californian labor codes for it to be a written contract, uh, but it doesn't meet the requirements for it to be enforceable. So they're just playing with their employees and playing with their earnings. And yet again, it's, it's just another case of, you know, what can they do right? You know, and, their own, and their own unsigned contracts with their own clients are apparently enforceable. Renewal letters that How convenient. Say, you don't need to sign just by looking at this page. You're now in compliance and you're obliged to follow the rules that have completely changed. It's madness. Yeah. Well, the link on the website has changed. And if you didn't realize that the rules changed when the link changed, well, then that's the customer's fault. But in the story of the week, I suppose, from my perspective, is, is also around IBM has allegedly defrauded the IRS, if you can believe that. Very brave. Yeah. So we, well, we all know the predatory tactics of the mega vendors. Um, they are to drive driving trying to drive more revenue from their legacy platforms, legacy platforms which are already contributing 90% margin, gross margin in some cases from the, from the maintenance. But this one dates back a little bit. It goes back to actually 2013, but it's coming around again, which is why it's becoming uh, topical. But So the whistleblower, in this case, uh, an existing IBM employee, filed a suit under the False Claims Act, alleging that IBM Uh, used an audit of its customer, the customer being the Internal Revenue Service, to fabricate the area of non-compliance. So the DC courts dismissed the lawsuit, but it's been brought back by appeal. So basically what's happening here is IBM wanted the IRS to to re-engage with them on a a large contract. They realized uh, that the IRS were trying to reduce their dependency on IBM. They were moving, moving products into the cloud. They were hibernating products. And so IBM got wind of this. What happened is that the IRS seemingly told them too much information. IBM said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, if that's what your strategy is, let's come in and take a look and see what you're using. So they did this under the guise of an audit. They did the audit and they didn't get the results that they wanted. They didn't get the the non-compliance that they expected the IRS to have. And I think the the non-compliance that they found was only to the tune of about half a million dollars. So they allegedly then went back Move the numbers around, change the audit, the audit results to make it look that the non-compliance position was far worse, and then use that as a negotiation tactic to the IRS to get them to sign a five-year deal worth $265 million because the IRS pre- presumed that they were guilty, didn't want to pay the fine, and so found it easier to, to enter into another long-term contract. So, oh so the whistleblower says that this was all fraudulent and it's currently uh, still under review. So an incredible story, really, and, and one we've heard before. Well, they're very good at, at kind of creating things, aren't they? 
And uh, actually, they they must be delighted that the, the tennis season is coming back. The the uh, the U.S. Open's coming up. I believe Watson has been brought in to recreate the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder will there be a few contracts under the seats, uh, the, the the empty seats? But yeah, that, that's a new story. They went to the U.S. Open. Apparently, Watson's been brought in to recreate the oohs and the ahs, get the timing right, but depending on the direction of the ball. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that. that's a series of that's a couple of serious stories there. They're very brave to take on the the uh, the IRS. That's for sure. Um, just just shows how brave they are. Yeah, well, they're not really taken on by defaulting in the in, in in taxation, which would be a far a far scarier thing to get to take them on. And mm. uh, still still scary all the same. Um, we must we must we must ask Todd about the the leadership thinking in there about that one. But uh, there's a couple of quick. I don't know if you saw the couple. Of, oh, we have to talk about the TikTok story, Larry and uh, and Donald. Donald and and Larry are are, are trying to get together to buy TikTok from from under the nose of Microsoft. It you know it doesn't get any better than that. I mean what I mean what, what value TikTok is to to an enterprise software company. I mean we thought the Red Hat acquisition by IBM was was going to be interesting, but that baffles me. I can understand why Microsoft would want to buy them, but I just don't understand why uh, yeah, well, that, a software company would want a consumer product. I think that was the point that Benioff was Mark Benioff was making the other day when he was saying that our competitors aren't remaining focused, and what he says Oracle isn't a competitor. I think he was having a dig at Larry. Because he said we're focusing on the enterprise, and some of our competitors are are getting confused between consumer plays, which TikTok is, and the enterprise. So he's really having a dig at 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 Larry's potential purchase of TikTok, which yeah. which Donald Donald Trump obviously thinks is is it would be a great great deal for them. But um, yeah, strange. Yeah, there's, a of, there's a lot of PR coaching you could give some of these CEOs. They they lose the run of themselves. I mean, I mean, I think that's definitely one way he's lost the run of themselves. And you may have heard the story about Paul Cormier in uh, Red Hat. Did you hear about the one about he's saying that he's not going to give IBM any favorable deals? Um, their parent company, I can't see how the hell that would work. I, you, I don't think it's, there's any any uh, experience at all or case studies out there of that working. I mean, the VMware and Dell one is a classic one where totally VMware and Dell are absolutely tied up together. Uh, and rightly so, but uh, I don't see how that's going to work. I think uh, I think I think he's still in the honeymoon period. Yeah. Yes. Indeed. I, I, and I think Paul. I mean, Paul has been in in Red Hat about eighteen, nineteen years. He. I mean, he's been there since when they were a, a very small company, and he's he wasn't quite founder and CEO, but he's certainly somebody who's been there for the, for a long time and has got himself into a serious leadership position. Mm. Uh, that would be a really good time to bring Todd in. Todd Uderstad, are you there? I am here. Excellent. Excellent, Todd. It is absolutely fantastic to speak to you again. I was honored, as I said earlier, to be invited by you to speak on your From Founder to CEO podcast in December 18, believe it or not. Uh, wow, that long ago. Yeah, it's that long ago. And you've been speaking to, I don't know how many well over 100 CEOs probably since. You'll get Todd's podcast on Spotify and all of the usual podcast platforms. But um, I think what got us together really initially was definitely our love of a piece of Ireland. Isn't that right, Todd? 
That is correct. Yes, I've been to the beautiful country of Ireland. My family has too. And and of course, as you know, um, I'm a big fan of a famous brand of butter that comes from Ireland to the United States on a daily basis. Kerrygold. Kerrygold it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, did you have Kerrygold when you were in, when you were in the army? No, I don't. I don't think so. So um, I was stationed in Berlin for a while. I don't think we had Kerrygold. I don't think the Germans allowed uh, you all to bring their butter to Germany. <laughs> oh no, you did actually. Because I, I know. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember being in Germany in 1989 as a as a student, just finished my first year in university, and we used to go over to Germany to work for the summer. And the biggest pleasure we had was going into the supermarket. And buying a little piece of Ireland, Kerrygold. Oh, that's yeah. so nice. Genuinely, so true. Yeah, it was like well, perhaps you know when you're that far away. I mean, that back in 1989, Germany, while it's in Europe, what felt like just light years away. Oh yeah, from, well that that's when I was in Germany too. I was in there 89, 90, and 91, and uh, but I don't remember if we had Kerrygold because I ate in the army dining facility, and they didn't they didn't usually let us know where they were getting the food from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was in Munich, and uh, even though I wasn't very well paid at the time, we did know to go into the posh supermarket and just buy the Kerrygold. But uh, yeah. yeah, and they bought we bought, we bought everything else in the, in the discount stores. Well, you've had a you, I mean, since we spoke, you've 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 your podcast has really gone from strength to strength, hasn't it? You've been on Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Bloomberg. I mentioned a bunch of those. I mean, it's really gone from strength to strength, hasn't it? Well, we've been fortunate um, to have a lot of, you know, fast growth founders come on the show and tell their anti-hero story. Because, as you know, I I get kind of weary of uh, all the amazing sources where we can learn about people's entrepreneurial hero story. But it's rare for founders to share kind of those vulnerable moments in time on their journey from founder to CEO. So all I do is I get to interview all these people and get them a little bit comfortable about sharing. And it seems to have taken off because I think everyone else gets a little bit weary of hearing everyone's, you know, polished story about how great they are. But yes, because they're, they're really honest stories. It's, it's, it, they're fantastic. I mean, they're, they're so honest. Um, you have obviously a, a particular way of, I mean, I know you've been doing this since, you know, you left the army in 2002, 2003, whatever it was, and you've been, a, you're, you're a founder yourself of your own business for, for you know, and so you, you probably know what it's like to be in the seat, but what, what motivated you to, to create the podcast? I was listening to your first podcast, by the way, I think it was in, was it in, in, in uh, two, December 14, your first podcast. Well, that's the one that's up on Spotify. Yeah, from December 14. What motivates you to get started? Well, um, I'd like to tell you I had some master business plan that I was executing on, but it really wasn't true. Um, I I was getting a lot of phone calls from founders in the Midwest United States. Um, you probably know that Silicon Valley is not the only uh, place in town now where you can go start a company in the United States. And so a lot of founders were graduating from incubators and accelerators in the Midwest and really getting traction. And they found themselves experiencing a lot of the other issues that founders experience. And a couple of very kind folks suggest that they check me out uh, for coaching. But our business model was not set up for fast growth founders. And so I said to myself, you know, 
what if I just, I'll just start a podcast. You know, it can't be that hard, right? And I'll just interview founders who have some level of traction and success and uh, get them to be, uh, share their story because I think many of us, especially all of us very busy founders, learn best when we're driving around, walking our dogs, you know, working out and listening to the stories of other founders. And so, Lo and behold, everyone wanted to hear those stories. So that's it's really that's the beginning. Because it was a high risk strategy. Because you you were an executive coach, you yep. g- gave your advice to people on a paid basis, and suddenly now you're going online and you're giving it away for free. Yeah, that's right. But I do find that interesting because I find that the more I give away for free, the more comes back to me. And um, we'll talk soon, I'm sure, about the major vendors and whatnot about how they probably lose sight of that sometimes. But I, I think that when you approach things with a heart of helping, you know, the universe has a way of, of giving that back to you over the course of time. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no, there's no, there's no question about it. And you really met, you've spoken to some fantastic people. You, your, your conversation with Mark Randolph of Netflix was amazing. And I, and I, I, I spoke to, as I mentioned earlier, your conversation with Ben Chester of, of MailChimp, the nobody's coming. Comment. I just think that is is one of the best comments I've heard in a long time. Well, I I really like Ben. He's he's such a likable kind of guy. You know, he's very down to earth, very self deprecating. And when he said that too, it kind of took me back into my army days, um, because you know you kind of live by that mantra in the military too. You hope someone's coming, and but you don't expect someone to. So you have to learn to be independent and self sufficient. And I think you know many of us leaders are in situations where you, at some point in time you're in that situation. So to hear Ben talk about that too, I think was kind of refreshing for many people yeah because one of the questions i was gonna i was gonna ask it and maybe you've just answered it is from all of the conversations with all of i mean you've spoken to i i don't do you know the number of ceos you spoke you've actually spoken on the pod, i'm sure you've spoken to many many hundreds with not that not all of them on the podcast but even if you just count the ones in your podcast do you know the number I've coached and interviewed over 500 founders, but I've coached over 2,000 leaders in my career so far. And so, you know, you do see patterns. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a former Army intelligence officer, so I'm trained on pattern recognition. So you, you do see certain things happen along the way. But yeah, I mean, on the podcast, we've interviewed oh, now over 350, quickly getting to uh, to 400. But it's it's really a um, I kind of consider it a privilege and a responsibility because many of them are not used to being so vulnerable. I have to do a lot of prep work to make sure that they're ready to tell a story that you know is true, authentic, but also is helpful to other founders, and that that requires some introspection. I've gotten in habit lately of. Uh, helping many of them do that introspection before they come on the podcast. So we avoid things like, well, founders need to do this and leaders should do this. Like, no, 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 no. No one wants to hear your pontification. They want to hear your story. Yeah. You mean your family at home don't even want to hear your pontification. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my daughter could speak to a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mine, mine too. <laughs> COVID has been a challenge. Trust me. <laughs> oh, isn't that the truth? And you you were listening to myself and Brendan talk there about you know the uh, mega vendors and I mean a, we we talk on this podcast and and on all our podcasts about some of the crazy things that they, that they, they as companies do and indeed many of their leaders participate in decisions that they make in your own experience and knowledge and I know you're not you're not you're not up and close with these guys 
you know, I, I, do, do you see certain kind of traits in, and not just the mega vendors, because what we do, we, we have to be, it's the, it's the industry we're in, but it could be any industry that's dominant and has what, what one might describe as monopolistic um, kind of traits. Do you see, do you see leadership traits that come out in those scenarios that actually are, is ultimately going to cause them damage? Yeah. So what, one of the things that I found um, insightful from one of the uh, podcast guests one time when we were talking is they kind of look at the big co's and then you describe your mega vendors uh, when they focus more on litigating and you can see their cost rising and litigating versus investing in innovation. You know, they look at in their mind, it was a litigation versus innovation ratio um, that gives them great pause and kind of helps them see where an organization may be in trouble. And Todd, interesting, given your background in the military, uh, did you, as part of your training, ever get insights, you know, because there's a, there's a, you look at military history, there's volumes and volumes of books written about dominant military armies and countries with mil- of dominant military who have failed because of that kind of, I mean, I guess your litig- litigation versus innovation is more of an arrogance, isn't it? And well, is I there, think so. And is there, did you come across, the, is that something they teach you to watch out for? Because it is, it is the, often the downfall of, of the big guy. I, I think it is. And yes, we, we learn a lot about that in um, you know, leadership development in the military. I mean, I also think about it sometimes as protection versus projection. You know, if you're spending more and more of your time and resources on protecting something that you have, whether it be a legacy system um, from technology, et cetera, versus projecting, meaning we're projecting out there into the marketplace or as a military might do into an area, then that movement forward creates great value. But when you're stagnant and you're in protection mode, you become a target. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. And what what can... If though if that's let's say that is the trade, and, and I, I I would I imagine Brendan will Brendan will be the same. That's exactly what we see in in almost all of these mega vendors. I mean, it was a comment made to me a number of years ago, and it was about Microsoft, but it could have been about any of them. That there are more lawyers, and uh, how true this is, I'm not sure. But somebody made an anecdotal comment that says there are more lawyers in 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 Microsoft than there are technologists. Now I doubt that's actually correct, but at the same time, it does paint a picture, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I I think frequently what happens is, you know, whether it's a very large company or even a small startup, when the leaders involved no longer practice some level of fair-minded self-awareness coupled with humility, which is, I think, is a powerful cocktail of leadership, and they no longer practice two, those two, th- two things, then in order to protect, you have to become aggressive. And uh, aggression does not people invite people into a relationship. And so, you know, you know, when we're in business together, we're in a relationship with each other. And if you're focused on a mutual benefit, then we thrive together. But if you're focused on protection, you have to exhibit aggressive behavior. And aggressive behavior doesn't usually invite a relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you if you if you were let's take the the, the mega vendor we 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 love best between myself and Brendan do IBM. If, if you were to meet. And sit down with Arvind Krishna and do a do a coaching session with him, let's say, and you had to give him that 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 one piece of advice. How, how would you go about that? Well, 
I, I'm not so sure I'm the right person to be giving advice to the IBM's new CEO. You know, he's it's a really tough job. So I, I have to be uh have to be fair minded about that. But I, I think maybe he could take some cues from um, you know, CEOs like the current uh Microsoft CEO. He seems to have done a very good job. I mean, I don't know him. I I Microsoft's not a client of mine, but I gather you kind of get gather these things from afar sometimes that he has a little bit more of a listening attitude than perhaps some others. You know, I told you, I told you all before, I, I was very fond of reading uh, Lou Gerstner's book, Who Says Elephants Can't Dance, years ago. And yeah. I think it's a good book because, you know, I don't I don't know Lou very well. I, I, I don't know at all. I just know from what I've read his book and, and over the years following him before he retired. But I, I do sense that those that have a little bit more of an attitude of listening than um, than acting tend to be more successful, especially now with technology. I mean, what CEO has all the answers, right? No CEO has all the answers. So that would probably be the first thing I would I would suggest is, you know, how much of your time are you going to be spending listening um, versus acting? Yeah, because there is a, a very challenging road ahead for for all companies, whether you're an IBM or a Microsoft or anybody else, and despite some of the crazy valuations, it's never easy. And particularly at the moment, you know, while some industries and the tech industry, for example, is doing, broadly speaking, very well out of what's happening in the world today, that doesn't mean that that's going to be the case in 12, 18 months time. I agree. And I think sometimes in these situations, historically, if you look at the past, um, business uh, history and even you know country history and region history, frequently what you find is you have to get smaller before you get better. Well, that will be – that's something we've spoken about. Myself and Ben have spoken about this many times actually about if you take IBM as an example again. I mean their biggest challenge I think is that they've, they've, they have probably should have broken up you know, a number of years ago. Um, they have a business now that has diff- disparate parts that are totally disconnected. Now, t- to be fair, they actually have tried to offload some parts of the business. Um, they haven't done it in a very transparent way, we, we would argue, but um, they have tried to do it. Um, Arvind Krishna is still relatively new in the job, so he's in that honeymoon period. It's probably fair to say it's like a startup you 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 know you're going to, he's going to make mistakes but he's probably be forgiven certainly initially for some of those but they, there's only so far that'll get him isn't that right i i agree and you know i think you have to be realistic about what someone can accomplish in a in a short time period i guess you know i i do coach lots of ceos and one of the things i'm fond of telling them is you know in that honeymoon time period don't squander that resource of goodwill and it's important to build those relationships and have an early win, right? An early win that everyone wins, including those individuals that, you know, maybe uh, are adversarial to the organization. So I, I think it's important to be able to not squander that, that honeymoon time period. Who knows how long it would last, right? It'll be, it'll be interesting. I mean, it doesn't appear that they're listening because, you know, what we hear when we listen is that you know not many people are happy with you know and, and and what what they do and how they how they treat people and how they treat their employees and how they treat their customers. So maybe Arvind has a chance to rectify that. I mean, there's no doubt they're getting smaller as a company because they've been losing revenue. Breaking it up was probably a good idea at the most. That's probably what they should have done, uh, and and to focus and to focus. But they're still not listening. 
and uh, that'll be that's great advice. But let and let's hope they listen. I hope so too, for many people's sake. <laughs> you do a thing at the, at the beginning of your show. I love it. It's where you and I think I mentioned it earlier about the nobody's calling uh, quote from Ben Chestnut, where you get you get a whole lot of your guests to talk about their mantra. Are there any particular ones that stand out to you, or is there a theme within the the kind of the mantras, particularly those of the more successful entrepreneurs? Because I'd imagine, like anything in life, we all start out, and as a CEO and founder myself, you put every ounce of effort into making the thing a success, but there's no guarantee. And the, the, the nobody's coming thing is definitely stands to the reason. But are there any particular ones that stand out to you from you? terms of mantras that stand out for the one for those people who have been more successful in your opinion without mentioning any names or more likely are there themes to those that have been more successful that's a great question that's a great worthy exercise too and i have one of my uh, team members maybe compile all those and uh see if there's themes in them that's a great idea i'm thinking off the top of my head that probably one of the biggest themes is mental clarity exercises and things they do to get themselves to be mentally clear. I mean, I, you said this at the beginning of your show, I just find more and more the ability to focus. You were talking about Salesforce suggesting that they are successful because they're focusing. I, I do think that pairing away and being able to focus on the core, the core value that an individual brings, an organization brings, it's probably not on thinking about it. What are the big themes amongst all those mantras and the things that they do and say, to be able to get clear, like your example of Ben Chestnut. Okay, well, no one's coming for me. All right, clarity. I've got to figure this out myself, right? Or we got to figure this out ourselves as a team. That's clarity, you know, and seeking that clarity, I think, is intimately connected to focus, which means, I mean, you really have to say no to a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that probably works for for the kind of the key aspects of a business, you know, whether it's strategy, which we talked about, you know, Mark Benioff, Brendan was talking earlier, but saying it's lack of focus, that's that's more strategic. It's perhaps culture, get being clear about your culture and being focused on that. Um, but also your in your leadership style. You've got to get them all right. You could actually get two of those right and one of them completely badly wrong and 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 you you could still end up failing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, this, this is, it's a recipe. There's a lot of things that go in this recipe. This is why um, I do appreciate um, some of my guests over the years on the show who will readily admit that timing was a big piece of their success, not necessarily their brilliance. I really appreciate founders and leaders who are uh, are honest about that because, um, you know, there are many of them. I, I'll tell you a little secret. I, I get pitched daily between like 15 or 20 founders a day to come on the show now. It's a little bit overwhelming. And, you know, some are some big names that you would know. And I have to you know, politely tell them there may not be a good fit for the show because humility is not part of who they are. And, you know, I just, I'm not attracted to those that think that they are the greatest thing since, um, Carrie gold butter, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and I think my audience isn't either. So I try my best to try and try and weed those out, or at the very least, those that may have that attitude. I try to help them understand that, you know, this is, this is not that type of show. We're not, we're not thumping our chest in, in this type of show. So I think that humility becomes very, very important. Um, and it makes us listen more, right? Yeah. 
And it's not an easy job. It's the, the, lead, the, lead, oh. the company leader is not easy. I mean, I, and I know one of the things I like about what you do, Todd, is that you, you yes, you bring the stories out and you bring the very personal stories out. Um, and many of them are from very interesting and, 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 and humble people. And some are amazingly successful. Um, but you also focus on one aspect as a leader that often gets overlooked by those who are not leaders is the stress element. And I think you have a new, you have a couple of new things happening in that area, don't you? We do. We created a course for founders called Stress-Free Founder and, and a free course called Arrest Founder Stress. And what I found has been, you know, th there's this um, worldwide phenomenon of entrepreneurship right now. I mean, the ability to be able to create a software as a service business is relatively easy and fast nowadays than I think in the course of human history. And so, you know, the ability of a founder to scale their, their own abilities as a person and as a leader frequently stalls compared to how fast the company's going, growing. And so I just find that you know, we've got this 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 um, implicit bargain with entrepreneurs around the world that says, "Hey, if you work hard and you hustle, and and uh, you'll it'll, you'll be rewarded." Well, the truth is that most entrepreneurs fail, and what's what's happening is I'm just seeing this huge spike in the number of founders and entrepreneurs who are suffering silently because they feel like they cannot be real and honest about what they're experiencing because that might stall the momentum of whatever they're trying to build. And I just tell them, I said, look, there's a lot of things you can do to be able to overcome that. And so we've created a course to kind of help them walk through that. I think that's, I think that's a fantastic thing you're doing there. It really is. And I can, I can recognize the potential to fall into those scenarios. I will certainly I, from, we'll put it up on our, on our own website, restfounderstress.com. I think it's a new one you've got going there. So, yes. And since we last spoke in December 18, we'd be happy to hear we've we've had some continued our road to success. Thank God. So fantastic. Uh, we'll keep you posted on that. And really, honestly, thank you for coming on the show. Some really interesting things there. Some great advice. I hope um, Arvind and Larry and uh, I think Satchez probably doesn't need to listen, but uh, <laughs> I think these guys should should tune in and listen to listen to your show. Uh, they might might learn a thing or two. So it was fantastic to have you on the show. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for the invitation. So, Brendan, we are coming to the end of another show. It's the end of the summer. We are. We'll be back in September. I feel. I feel a bit happier now, though, than I did earlier on. Why is that? I think Todd just makes me. He just. He did something for me. I. I'm good. I feel. I feel less under pressure. I think there's hope out there. And talk, I guess talking to somebody who's who's in Cincinnati so easily, uh, I think it makes me feel like I'm almost there. So yeah, yeah and there was there was some great good nuggets of wisdom there, uh, as there have been on on Todd's podcast. So, and I definitely I think after this podcast, I'm going to go on to arrest founder stress right now. <laughs> See. Oh, don't don't tell me that. We don't. We don't. I didn't do it. Did I? <laughs> Listen, Brad, great, great, it's been a great show. We will be back in a month's time, the end of September, with another guest. We'll be giving you great, great stories, and we look forward to seeing you then. Goodbye yeah. from me. And goodbye from me. Take care, folks. Bye-bye.